Welcome to The Spun Chunks, episode number 268 for Monday, October 23rd, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me sometimes is my voice, but also Johnny, who you may know better as Pixlrefs. Hello, sir. Hello. It's definitely that time of year when things are shifting, the weather is turning, and, uh, you know, that last bit of hay fever that you thought wasn't going to catch up with you maybe is. Uh, <laughs> right? so, so we wish good health to all of our listeners, and... In the pre-show, we've been talking a little bit about that stuff, a little bit of YouTube copyright talk, and a little bit about my new experience on a rowing machine that I've just gotten hold of so I can have a healthier exercise routine over winter. You can hear more about what Joel and I talk about over on The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast, by joining us at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks, where any of the paid tiers will get you an access to The Render Distance, which is a private RSS feed uh, that gets you pre- and post-show chat on every episode. Patrons also get to listen to our quarterly behind-the-scenes hangout, which happened on Saturday 21st of October and should now be appearing in that paid patron RSS feed. You can also tune in to our monthly Minecraft hangout in the Discord this Saturday, October 28th, where people can share what they've been up to in Minecraft over the last month. I'm emphasizing paid patrons versus free patrons because Patreon is restructuring things right now and as a result you might be able to sign up to sort of follow the page without necessarily paying for any of the tiers but the individual tiers are where you get the content that we have pledged to our patrons and people who support us financially so that's the way things are currently set up as we've been with Patreon for a little while now. Uh, this episode is something that was unlocked by our patrons even this is the Chunk Mail Dispenser episode but since there is also a very important snapshot containing features from Minecraft 1.21 this week. We'll be sharing the mailbag with that. What have you been up to in Minecraft this week, my friend? This week I have done a bit of testing because obviously my world was started in Minecraft 1.20. The new series of Survival Guide began when that update first came out. And since then there have actually been a couple of fairly important updates to Diamond Ore Generation that happened in 1.20.2, I believe. And so I didn't really know where the borderlines were between old chunks and new chunks in my world but then having raided the woodland mansions that i did recently those are tens of thousands of blocks out and i was confident that i had never been out there before so i did a bit of side-by-side -side testing almost i mined out an area that i knew i had loaded in 1.20 it was an ocean very close to my base and between my base and a village that i'd interacted with a bunch so i dug underneath there got down to you know negative 58 in the world, did a bunch of branch mining for an hour and came away with a couple of stacks of diamonds. Then I flew out to the woodland mansion where I found the LA's and one of them burned down and everything and I figured those are chunks that were generated in 1.20.2 so I'll do an hour of branch mining here as well. And I haven't got a beacon or anything set up yet, so it's really just branch mining with an efficiency pickaxe and getting fortune on everything. But I did come away with more diamonds, and I even found a couple of diamonds on the tunnel down there, which was lucky, but would have added to my diamond total if I'd considered those part of the session I was doing with the one-hour timer. So I think overall, yeah, I am seeing a bit of an increase in diamond ore generation around there, which is cool because we need diamonds more than ever now that they are necessary for reproducing armor trims and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, a bit of uh, A-B testing, I guess you could call it, between the two and, and see if there's any difference. And while it may obviously have just been my luck in the new chunks, it certainly seems like more diamond ore is generating. Um, on the subject of the LA's, uh, I set up some storage for the LA's that I rescued so they aren't just floating around my base or tied to a fence post somewhere. So on the same day that I did the uh, the diamond mining stuff, I also set up 
what I'm calling the Alazy River, uh, because it involves getting the Alays into boats, and you kind of dispense a boat as they fly over to a certain area, usually lured in by a block that they're holding. I can just kind of chuck on the ground. They fly over there to go and pick it up, and I dispense a boat, which carries them around a water stream and drops them into just a tall, kind of empty tower where the boats can kind of stack up one on top of each other. And they're totally fine with that. Like, it's not going to cause entity cramming because they're all balanced on top of the heads of the ones below. Um, but it effectively becomes an LA Pez dispenser. And uh, I can take them out two at a time to bring out, like, a couple of LAs for a job and then return them to there when I'm done. And obviously this feels a bit weird when you've rescued the LAs from pillagers and they've been in jail and you've gone, oh, yes, be free, and then sit in this boat forever and stack up on top of each other and that kind of thing. It, it feels a little bit weird from a, you know, an, a moral and ethical perspective. But from a mechanical perspective, it works splendidly well <laughs> and also means that the LAs aren't, you know, looking like they're straining to get to the player constantly and just kind of being a background distraction. Um, and I, w I was worried that my front yard in my base was just going to become this you know, leftover stuff from all of these different projects everywhere, and I, I wanted to be able to tidy some stuff up. Um, so that was one of the major projects for, for this week. Managed to build a, a fun little cave over the top of that with a custom cherry tree growing over it to conceal where the, uh, the sort of water stream setup was. But then from there, I was, you know, figuring out what I wanted to do, progressing the game, like moving my tech tree forward a little bit. And I ended up uh, rematching the dragon and fighting the wither. So now I'm at the point where I've got beacons as an option. Um, I fought the wither on the surface for the first time in ages as well. So was able to, uh, to to get that fight done without using the, you know, surround it with iron golems or, you know, trap it under the end portal or dig a long tunnel at deep slate level so it can't really get out. I thought I'll fight the wither fair and square for the first time and that'll give me the uh, the sort of kudos I need to be able to just trap it and kill it in whatever way I need to later if I want to farm up some beacons. Yeah, we use a, uh, a wither squisher on the citadel. It's an old seed. Our... I think our nether was generated in 112, maybe? Anyway, we've got a spot in the ceiling where we can have a bunch of minecarts, and then it's like a three-by-three three area in the ceiling where mm -hmm. the wither spawns, and then its head is stuck in bedrock, so it suffocates. Um, or, no, it can't see you, and then it suffocates in the 25 minecarts with entity cramming. Um, yeah. And then we just collect the, the stuff. I mean, it was a lot of work to get the room done and have it all set up, but um, I don't know that we've ever fought the wither legit on the server. I feel yeah. like it was just something that we just talked about it and we just decided not really interested. I don't know if we, at, at, the, at this time that we got to that level, I think everybody else on the server was so new to Minecraft or that level at Minecraft. They're like, that doesn't sound fun. Yeah. And so we just decided to make that executive decision. It's like, I just want the beacons. That sounds like that. That's the fun part for me. So, um, so yeah, it's, I, I feel like the surface fight would be hectic. I've seen people fight it in a tunnel and have it still go haywire, you know, or sideways. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So I don't know about on, on the surface. If, if we did, it would have to be like far enough away from everything that if it did get loose or problematic, then we would just have to you know, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be anything for it to destroy. Yeah. Know? Yeah. No, the difficulty with the wither is always its destructive potential. And I didn't want to spawn it anywhere near my base. I went out to a, a savannah island that, you know, I, I didn't have anything built on. I barely visited that area. It was nice and flat and open, had a few 
passive mobs around and I thought well if the wither goes after any of those then a wither roses which is kind of a cool thing to demonstrate on the video and b it's a distraction right. so I can recover any health I need to and make sure I've got the weapons ready and stuff um but in the end yeah I, I drank a swiftness potion and that was the only other thing I had aside from like a smite sword and a decent bow throughout the fight um decent armor and everything as per usual and I made sure to swap my elytra out for my chest plate because now you can hot swap them by right clicking on java the way you can on bedrock for pc so right. it, it was it was a little bit more of a confidence thing knowing that yeah i have my elytra on my hotbar if i need to get out of there i can just scroll over right click and i'm away with fireworks and whatnot um so that gave me a bit of extra confidence but overall with a swiftness potion you can get away from the wither quickly enough just with swiftness one and then you can kind of back off turn around shoot with a bow run a couple more paces and do that and in the end i only end up taking damage when it came to you know it's it's resistant to arrows you can only attack it melee style and i just wanted to get in close and finish it off with the smite sword and then i took a bit of damage and took a bit of wither effect but overall i was not worried at any point during this fight now the caveat here is that my world is still set to normal difficulty so while that oh, doesn't right. affect the wither's health the way it does on bedrock edition on java i'm pretty sure the wither has a a flat pool of health it wasn't doing as much damage as it would have otherwise but even then i don't think i would have taken enough damage for it to be really threatening so overall pretty comfortable with that probably going to change the difficulty in my world relatively soon anyway so we can talk a bit more about the differences that makes but yeah overall just happy to be in the period of the game where i can pick up little projects like this i can work on gathering with the skeletons we can maybe make it with a skeleton farm a bit later and now i've got beacons i can talk about strip mining and take the la's to go and do some of that and all of my recent projects can kind of fold in together i was wondering about that because i watched your video on the diamond mining the test the ab test and i was surprised i knew you would get more like i kind of figured that would be the result i was expecting you to get a lot more like i mm. thought you were going to get a, a higher percentage uh increase with the additional diamonds at deep slate levels i'm wondering if maybe the the sample size was unlucky and if you do that again or if you had just kind of like a a, a test of an hour of the strip mine you know with with a beacon if you might find that proportionately you end up well, i mean sure you're going to get more diamonds just because you're going to be able to mine more blocks but i feel like you will probably get a higher percentage of diamonds as well. I, I, I'm wondering if more chunks will just yield a uh, a different number. I'm just curious about that. Like, I, I'm not not saying that it's bad that you're getting more diamonds, but it doesn't seem like much of a buff. Like, they talk about more diamonds in the area, but I, it didn't seem like it was a lot more, you know? Yeah, according to the Wikipedia article that kind of breaks things down, there is a new orb blob placement where it basically gives an additional chance for an eight vein of diamond ore to generate. Um, and yeah, that, that's just anywhere between the bottom of the world and negative four. So that's still like a pretty large range in which it can generate. So overall, I was only mining for an hour. You're not going to see that huge of a difference. I feel like it's, it's right. subtle, but noticeable. And the fact that I was able to demonstrate with a single hour that, yes, I got more diamonds in this place than I did in that place. Again, it could just have been, you know, lucky enough to find a couple of extra diamond ore here and there. And I might have gotten more in the first region if I'd been luckier over there. But the fact is, it seems demonstrable that the, the diamond ore has changed a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. And I didn't feel like doing a much longer test because it was just going to take up more time at that stage. With the allays in the boats, 
I really quite like the look. I think that the cherry boats are cute. You know, like I think it matches the <laughs> yeah. the pastel with with the LAs. And I know what you mean about like the difference between the LA kind of like pressing its face up against a glass wall or something trying to get to you. It's like it's a weird mood that that puts out there. Yeah. Um, I'm curious though. Is it just the fact that boats can handle two at a time? As to why you chose boats instead of something like a minecart to yes. to sort them out in. Okay. It's it's absolutely like I can't think of many tasks that I would just want one allay for as well. Like there right. are there are a few yeah. applications that I have in mind for them in my world. Specifically, what I like them for is harvesting mangrove wood because then you, they can clear out all of the leaves and the roots and everything, and then you can just focus on getting the logs. Whereas in the like amethyst geode that I've got marked out like i'm thinking yeah we can get have one allay on the surface that can just kind of chuck amethyst shards into a hopper for me but like that'll be fine with two as well like there aren't that many things where i just want to bring one allay with me and so i thought boats made sense um boats was going to be maybe slightly more organic feeling than minecarts and storing them two at a time when i had like 15 of them i think total it was just going to be a bit less of an investment than minecarts even though i have an iron farm you know it's not that bad but in terms of a space investment <laughs> i think having a, a huge stack of minecarts you need to invest a lot more height in making sure that you had enough room for all of them but i do like the idea maybe of using minecarts for stuff like that in future and having maybe a powered rail at the bottom that's you know off when you drop them in there but then you can just hit a button and they ping out of the system and the next set drops down i think that could be kind of fun as well but either way i think yeah the uh the, the combination of cherry wood and that light blue that allays have was very aesthetically pleasing and i'm using cherry planks to lure them in in the first place so they're holding cherry planks in there which kind of looks like they're holding something they could steer the boat with and it just made it like <laughs> a little bit cuter to the point where i was like people will tolerate this and it doesn't look like a, an abuse of these uh creatures that i have uh you know ostensibly rescued from captivity yeah it's funny that mind switch that you have to play in minecraft like you know you what you want to have a wolf farm that means you generally have to pen up the sheep you know and they don't have a lot of room usually unless you have like a manual farm but i mean we've got manual farms on the sizzle for wool right now but they're not large pens and they generally have like you know 10 or 12 sheep in them yeah. in like a four by four area or something like that so they tend to not look all that comfortable so you know to have like a big field with actual sheep in it roaming around like i mean then that def defeats the purpose of it being convenient because then you got to run around and like shear all the sheep manually chase them down all that kind of stuff but yeah i like i like the look of some things like that and it's weird how something like a sheep or a cow farm i don't necessarily think like oh i feel bad for the sheep but then with the LAs, the cute factor is up there. So you're like, I kind of don't want to put them in a cage. You know, like it's, you know, it's bees, same thing. I wouldn't necessarily like bees in a very small one by one. I can appreciate that they might fly around a small enclosure, you know, for, for like a honey farm or something like that. But when it comes to like a really tightly, you know, efficient bee farm, I would, I would prefer them to just be out and about because again i think it's the cuteness factor that affects my my mood on that yeah yeah and it's, it's obviously the argument people have with villagers all the time is like is it okay to fit these villagers into these one by one boxes where all they do is trade and it's like mechanically they are not more complex than that you know they don't actually have needs in the way that like complex human beings have needs because they haven't been programmed to and so you have to really tread that line between like 
justifying things on a humanistic, you know, empathetic level and justifying things based on, well, this is mechanically the most optimal thing to do for the video game. And also the only thing that's going to harm these villagers ultimately is if monsters come and attack them, which it's not going to happen if there isn't like a bunch of beds around to indicate that this is a village or you know if, if i can put them in booths indoors somewhere then that means pillagers aren't going to come and shoot them with crossbows and so there's 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 so many different like avenues that you can explore to make the argument one way or the other but uh, yeah i think ultimately it's best not to overthink it and i'm having fun with my la pez dispenser <laughs> thank you very much um what about you what are you having fun with this week what's new on the citadel so the east road graveyard is complete and I'm very happy to check that off because it was a lot of fun. It wasn't a huge, huge project, but there was a fair amount of detail and it was very different to anything else that I've done recently. So we finished decorating all of the gravestones and the headstones. I added some special things outside. I have like a little altar. There's like a little um, uh, shed, I guess, for like a groundskeeper where there might be, you know, like I, we don't have them in Minecraft, but like hedge trimmers. I, maybe I'll put like a shovel or something in there just to kind of indicate what it is. Uh, and of course we have the crypt underneath of it. Uh, and all of that is now finished with decorations like foliage and bushes and grass uh, along the outside wall. When I did that, I also changed parts of the wall to be a little bit more mossy cobble, mossy brick. So it looks like the wall and everything has been there a lot longer. Uh, and then we lit the place because it was a death trap. <laughs> uh, the closest, uh, the closest AFK spot I had was the, um, the blacksmith shop, which is just inside the East gate, but it was far enough away that there was lots of mobs spawning. Uh, thankfully no damage was done, but I, I nearly died to skeletons a couple of times. And so what I did was I, I went around and I placed some, um, blue soul lanterns to be the visual source of light around, but that was not enough, of course, to light the whole place and have it be, uh, one aesthetically lit, but two also uh, not a death trap. And there are still some spots. Frustratingly, I think I got like everything but three or four spots in the whole graveyard are not spawnable. Uh, but unfortunately, um, I wasn't able to get everything. So there's still a chance that there might be something in there, but it's not uh, as high as it was before. And uh, what I did was because I used moss carpet to indicate like rustled ground or a new grave or things like that. I started hiding uh, pairs of candles underneath the carpet uh, because you can't see the smoke effect from candles from, I think it's more than 16 blocks away. Mm -hmm. And also under carpet, the, the smoke effect just doesn't go past the block. So even if you're standing on top of it, you still can't see the smoke effect from the candles. Uh, you can hear them, which in a way is kind of cool because it creates kind of like this weird ambient crackle in the graveyard, yeah. which without visually seeing a candle, you don't really know what it is. Uh, and then the reason why I was using two is because that gives off a level of four and one was not enough. Two candles was just right. Three was too much. When I did three, it started to look like the light was coming from the ground as opposed to just bouncing along it. And so yeah. it was this delicate kind of situation of where to put them. But because I'd used moss carpet, like all over the place, I really had a decent amount of options you know, to hide these things in. I thought about sea pickles, but sea pickles were more labor intensive because you had to use water and they were brighter than candles. So uh, candles give me more flexibility on the lower end of things. And that worked out, I think, to my advantage. But it was great to, to check that off. I then had to go around the outside of it. 
and uh, I ended up planning and executing this pond that I have been thinking about for a while. There's a fountain on the south side of the graveyard. And what I did was the retaining wall outside the graveyard, I put a hole in it and I kind of faked a small waterlogged stair to look like the water is coming from the fountain through the wall and then down into a pond. And I thought, here's an opportunity to just kind of like move some stuff around and see where inspiration takes me. And so I made a culvert underneath the East Road where the pond then drains into the uh, East River below. And so that does a number of things. It gives you some really interesting things to look at along the East Road as you're coming up to West Hill because the pond is on your right. You'll see the graveyard and then you'll see obviously a lot of greenery and stuff to look at. It was a lot of fun to kind of just experiment with like different kind of pond decorations. And I've been using a lot of moss and azalea and using azalea on the ends of I guess, cliff faces. So it's not necessarily supposed to be a bush, but it kind of softens the edge of the Minecraft blocks as they go up in their little pyramids, you know? And so I've been using that technique. The culvert really adds something interesting to look at on the riverside as well, because up until this point, it was just a nice grassy bank, which looked fine. But now there's this overgrown mossy, you know, drain essentially uh, emptying out into into the, the river. And uh, I quite like the way that it looks. It came out, it came out nice. Uh, again, using waterlogged stairs at the base of the river to kind of get like a little bit of a zigzag to the water coming out. I've done that in a number of places around the town and it's worked out very, very well. I think it's a really smart idea to have multiple sources feeding into the river as well. Like you've got a few different places where there are, you know, tributaries and stuff. And it obviously you can build that into a larger waterscape, but even just like little bits of water coming from the town, coming from the infrastructure here and there is going to all feed into a river because that's what rivers are in the natural world. It's difficult to have that generate that way in Minecraft because all rivers are at sea level, there's no flow to the rivers and they aren't necessarily fed from a specific source. But if you can imply that, just through some of the stuff that you build. It adds such a layer of realism to any kind of water feature that's naturally generated in the game or sort of sculpted by you in this case that I think it it always lends an air of naturalism to an area that's much needed in Minecraft's relatively bland waterscapes otherwise. Thanks, man. I They're really fun to do and you have inspiration for this already all over Minecraft because if you've ever spent any time in a large... Uh, plains biome there's these weird water holes everywhere and they don't ever look very good they're usually kind of janky in terms yeah, of they, like they never feel like blocks. ponds and kind of no. like natural kind of features they're always just like there's a hole in the ground with some water in it <laughs> yeah it looks like it was generated by a creeper like it's it's really yeah. kind of haphazard um, so i've been leaning into that like the the pond in the wheat farm was a hole like that that i just thought was ugly and i just moved it five or six blocks you know to the west and and included it in my farm this space was a natural depression i obviously spruced it up a bit uh, before doing the pond and i had to dig down a little bit to make it work but like it just it kind of made me feel like there should be something there and when you have a high road i mean the water from the road is going to go somewhere so you're just thinking like there's going to be places for runoff and whatnot and i did the same thing uh right next to the east gate actually there's a, a low area there in front of the wall and it's like i don't know what to put here and i put a pond and then i put the the pond runs like underneath it's not a drawbridge but it's essentially like a stone bridge that goes into the east gate and again drains into the same river so there's already precedent for this uh in other places and i've got plans for more 
marshland, lowland kind of, kind of areas uh, to just rather than filling in and flattening things in the area, I'm trying to like lean into what the natural topography is giving me. And mm-hmm. so that's been that's been really cool. And the, the thing about them, too, is that they really help with providing that buffer zone between something you've built like a road or a wall and then the rest of the landscape in Minecraft. And that was the idea behind the graveyard was the east gate in the wall of West Hill is quite tall and flat and stark. And it looks like it kind of plunks right down in the landscape. And so the graveyard is a lower build. I think the highest thing in it is the crypt and it's only five or six blocks. And it provides this like level of uh, like a step down from the town before the rest of the countryside. And so I imp- implemented that again, because again, the, the even the graveyard felt like it was kind of plunked down until I started putting, you know, different things around it. And then there was this big old empty flat space behind it. So I said, well, I'll just bone meal this and just try and make it feel a little bit more natural. And then I came up with the idea of putting in a flower field uh, along with Chester Cosmic was part of that decision. But <laughs> probably, yeah, but but I didn't want it to be just like random Minecraft bone meal. So what I did was I used the Minecraft algorithm or however they do the generation to um, place all the flowers. And then I ran around and replaced every flower with one type. So I mm-hmm. had the Azure Blue A, which I really liked, and I've used those all over the graveyard. And so now it looks like there's a natural white field of flowers behind the graveyard where probably the people would pick the flowers to put on the graves. And again, it provides this next level of like, it's shorter than the graveyard, but it looks like it was touched by the player. And then it gradually goes into the rest of the Minecraft countryside. And it really provides this nice buffer between player zone and I can't landscape until the edge of render distance because I will be here until 2024, you know, working on this area. So I really wanted to have something that kind of like helped border things, but didn't look like so much like a Minecraft build that it just created more and more work for myself. But I have to say, if you run around in bone meal, remove all the tall grass and then replace the flowers with like insert one type of thing here, whether it's bushes or flowers, whatever, what a fantastic and fast way to introduce like random natural looking stuff because if you try to do it by hand it's time consuming and you often create patterns because that's just how humans work so yeah by doing this and using i guess it's like the flower map to try and do this uh it really helps and then you can go around and like trim out some of the grass bone meal again in all the bald spots you'll get more flowers you just have to collect them all and then replace them with the one that you want and I found it worked really, really well. Uh, I've pushed the flower field around the top of the the graveyard. So now it borders on the East Farm Road. That was the last thing I did on Sunday. I just, I was working up the road. Didn't really do a whole lot. I'm kind of working on the textures and trying to figure out what's happening. The the daunting thing right now, I think with West Hill is the remaining tasks are all around the town and they're all very similar. It's like landscape this little pond here, a little wetland there, grasses and bushes here. So I'm really struggling to figure out like, you know, what I can do to kind of keep myself from being, um, I guess, bushed out in terms of like all of this greenery. Cause you, cause the, the, the thing that's so tedious about this, I like the end result, the problem that your inventory has to be full of so many different kinds of blocks to achieve the look that I'm going for, that it gets really frustrating because you can't hold everything. And so you're constantly running back to your chests to be like oh i need this one thing that i forgot that i need like this one bush or this one type of grass or i forgot my bone meal or because you've got like you know all these different kind of blocks in your inventory and it just it ends up going really really quickly especially when you start delving into flowers like 
that you you run out of space in a heartbeat. But anyway, I had a lot of fun this weekend doing it. I'm really happy with the way that this road looks. I can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel about how I want you know West Hill to kind of bleed into the rest of the landscape. So I'm looking forward to to finishing up. It's just a matter of um, muscling up and 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 getting in there and and doing the the rest of the legwork and um, to call out something we were talking about in our, um, our pre-show, possibly doing some extra long streams, maybe even like silent streams with just some music playing or something to take care of the more tedious tasks. So we'll see what's happening, but it's, uh, it's going well. The Tolkien nerd in me is thinking, looking at those white flowers all growing behind the graveyard and thinking that's like the flowers that grow on the graves of like the, the warriors of oh, Rohan right. who were all buried kind of outside of, uh, outside of, uh, Edoras and, and and Helm's Deep and places like this, um, the, there's there's a couple of barrows and whatnot, effectively where they, they uh, you know, buried their kings of of years past. And I like the idea that that's growing out the back of the graveyard because that's always been a burial site of some kind, but they didn't have like a formalized system for it. And then your you know more formal graveyard with the wall and the the headstones and stuff is something that's come in more recently when they've decided you know there should be a a, a sacred place for that to happen and so you know that that may not be intentional on your part but that's how i read it and obviously like viewer interpretation is also going to be a big part of this if you're not there to explain why all of the decisions you made were there so i think it creates a really cool impression i like the way that looks thanks very much man i don't know i don't think i did that intentionally but it could be just like uh subconscious because i'm a i'm a big lord of the rings fan as well too and it could be just that aesthetic yeah, yeah. you know medieval graveyard burial and my brain just kind of is pulling from the two towers without realizing it but uh, thanks no I, I appreciate that that's that's a cool cool observation and i like that there's things like that that people can just interpret on their own right yeah yeah absolutely that's that's one of the coolest things about looking around somebody else's build is finding the details that they didn't necessarily know that they put in there but they they've done it um there's obviously a bunch of news this week as we said so let's get on into that before we go back to listener email and then we'll come back to talk about the news a little bit later Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 23W42A was published on Wednesday, October 18th, along with Bedrock Edition Preview 1.20.50.21, which contains the same experimental features, but some different technical changes and bug fixes. While technically this is a snapshot for 1.20.3, the highlight of this snapshot is the Crafter, a feature which was announced in the 1.20 update uh, at last weekend's Minecraft Live event. Uh, to access the crafters, players need to start a new world in the snapshot and enable the data pack for the experimental options in world creation. The crafter is a new block that enables the crafting of items and blocks via redstone. The crafter will eject one crafted item at a time when powered by a new redstone signal or pulse, but not a continuous signal. Upon receiving this new signal, the crafter will eject the recipe result from its face if the output result has multiple types of items, all of those items will be ejected together. For example, empty buckets are ejected along with a crafted cake. The crafter can be oriented in any direction when placed. The crafter UI has a 3x3 interactable crafting grid. The crafting grid slots are toggleable, meaning that the player can change the behavior of a slot by clicking or pressing on a slot with an empty hand. A slot that is toggled cannot hold any items and therefore cannot have items placed into it by other blocks, such as hoppers and droppers. Unlike the crafting table, the crafter displays a preview of the crafted item, which cannot be manually taken out by the player, 
Instead, it will be crafted and ejected when the crafter next receives a redstone pulse. The crafter UI is shared between all players interacting with the crafter, meaning that multiple players can interact with the crafter at the same time, similar to chests and hoppers. The crafter does interact with other blocks. The crafter can create a comparator signal strength of 0 to 9, increasing by 1 when any of the crafting UI slots are either disabled or contain an item. Hoppers can be used to both insert and pull out items from the crafter. Droppers can be used to insert items into the crafter. Moving items from another block like a hopper or dropper, prioritizing filling items into slots following these rules. Prioritize the first empty slot from left to right, top to bottom. If there are no empty slots, then prioritize the smallest stack of the same item, prioritizing the first stack if there are multiple. If there is a toggled slot, it will be skipped. The item will then be moved into the container. If the item cannot be moved, it will be ejected into the world. The Minecraft team wants to hear your feedback on the crafter, so please let them know what you think over at the dedicated feedback thread. We will have a link to that thread linked in our show notes for this week. Aside from the crafter, there are a couple of other changes in Snapshot 23W42A, including an accessibility option that allows you to hide the yellow splash texts in the main menu, and a recovery screen for worlds with missing data, for example if saving failed due to an unexpected shutdown. There were some technical changes as well. The data pack version is now 21, the resource pack version is now 19, and there were minor changes to chat component serialization. Data pack version 21 in particular introduces jigsaw structure pool aliases, which can be used to rewire pool selection. This allows for more organic or random selection of structures when assembling a custom procedurally generated feature like a village or a custom dungeon. Map makers are going to be very happy that a feature like that now exists. There are also a bunch of bug fixes. We've detailed a couple of the noteworthy ones in our show notes this week. A variety of them mostly related to realms and decorated pots. For example, you couldn't break decorated pots with fireworks launched from crossbows before. In fact, firework rockets also could not be used to break chorus flowers, and both of those bugs have been fixed with this snapshot. Along with the you don't seem to have a realm element in the realms menu was unable to be selected via the mouse cursor, and the buy a realm button was automatically selected when opening the add realm interface. Those have been fixed along with a couple of minor tweaks to realms, and the full list of bug fixes and technical changes can be found in the snapshot changelog on minecraft.net. That's linked in our show notes at thespawnchunks.com also. So where I'm so focused on finishing West Hill right now, I'm on the fence about jumping in into the snapshots to test new features like the crafters or trial chambers, things like that, when they eventually, you know, do reach snapshots. Um, I know you've spent some time with the crafter and we're going to talk about that later in the mm -hmm. show. Um, but in general, with these experimental snapshot, um, or sorry, the experimental features within the snapshots, do you see yourself like participating in, in each one as it comes out uh, just to kind of poke around? Or are you think that you're going to wait and try to experience it later when they're more more fleshed out it depends on what order they release the features like if they release trial chambers then i presume then we'd also get all of the copper and tough blocks that were included right. in those and so i'd want to jump into that just to see what i could build with some of those things and see how the tough blocks look alongside the rest of the block palette 
and things like that. So even if I'm not going and finding a trial chamber myself, then I'm probably at least jumping into creative and building a couple of things with the tough and sure. copper blocks. Um, but then, yeah, I think honestly, if you're less likely to jump into those snapshots because you're busy with like a long-term project that you really want to finish up, I might do it just for the sake of, you know, the balance of our dialogue here on the show about some of these mm -hmm. things. Um, I also like getting ahead of some of these features and I'm not somebody who feels like I've got to, you know, save it to stay excited about it in the main release. Like I'm probably going to be still excited about these features, you know, a few months on when we know when a, a full release is going to arrive. But I don't think you need to rush into them, especially since if we're getting a snapshot this week for, let's say, the copper blocks and the trial chambers and stuff, and then maybe the breeze arrives the week after or something like that, we're probably still going to have a bit of a waiting period, especially over the holidays, where we're not going to get new features every single week. So that stuff can wait. I think if you're planning on you know, holding back a little bit, then that's totally fine because you'll be able to experience that stuff later and you save that rush of everybody is trying out all of this new stuff and trying to get out you know video content about it as much as possible and stream it as much as possible and then people inevitably end up getting slightly burnt out the one thing i don't want to happen with the crafter is for people to think of it as just boring and pedestrian and already part of the game before it arrives in 1.21 because yeah. i still think it's exciting enough to get hyped about for the main release but i think so many people are going to have redstoned up all of these wizard systems that are going to work so well for the crafter that I think some people are just going to fold it into their gameplay and not see it for the remarkable addition that it is. I think in one way that could help uh, with the excitement around the crafter in that you'll see a lot of people like the technical community putting out these videos, experimenting with it and showing what it can do. Uh, but then their excitement is going to be tenfold when it actually is in the game and they can implement it in a long-term survival situation. Yeah, in, in, in a system that they already have established in their world. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I won't be messing around with the crafter too much on my own. I'm certainly going to be watching people do it because I, like you, I want to stay up to beat on, on it to talk about it on the show. But I feel like I don't want to get into it because anything I do is just not going to be able to be carried forward from snapshot to snapshot. So I'd rather watch videos, research it, see other people play with it, and then think about how I might implement it on the Citadel when it actually comes time to do so. Uh, and that's the same uh, for trial chambers and new blocks like that. The flip is that I feel very much like you do. If it's something like a PVE experience, which I'm not big on anyway, I think I'd like to wait for those and maybe tackle those, you know, with the server mate so we can both experience them at the same time. Because one of the things that I yeah. find challenging about being on the show and then having a server with a bunch of friends is that I know this stuff backwards and forwards by the time it's in the game and it's brand new to them. And so I think for me to kind of experience things like a trial chamber new in Minecraft, one of the best ways to do it is going to be through the eyes of someone that has like not a lot of, you know, knowledge about what's going on and we'll just go all do it together. Um, but like yeah. you, I will absolutely be popping into a creative world just to mess around with like tough bricks and, you know, copper grates, and, like all that kind of stuff. Cause I, I want to know what it might go with in the same way that like, I'm looking at like, well, how could I implement that? Maybe not in Westel. Cause I'm hoping that Westel is going to be long done before 1.21 comes out, but it would be nice to be able to think about what, you know, block pallets and different combinations of blocks will be useful going forward as they release new stuff so i think we're on the same page there and that i'd probably pop into creative to talk about textures and blocks and things like that here on the show but then unless there is something really interesting that i want to try with a, a trial chamber i see myself more like i'll watch some video reviews of that but then i'll wait to experience it myself with friends and stuff on the server just so we can have that 
together. The, the other thing worth noting about that is that my experience of Trial Chambers solo is going to be very different from your experience of Trial oh, fair, Chambers yeah. with additional people because they are they scale based on how many players are running the the experience so i think that that's totally worthwhile and i think will honestly add to the experience in a way that people aren't necessarily going to get to experience in snapshots unless they have a snapshot server they want to throw up with a few friends which is maybe something i will consider doing when they arrive in snapshots and i feel like testing some stuff but honestly my recent experience with snapshots has been that has been that my, my niche almost is testing the stuff in survival where a lot of people are going to be poking around in creative because you get instant access to the stuff i jumped into a, a snapshot world in creative just to test out what the crafter was capable of but then i still went into survival to be like okay how soon are we going to get hold of this like how right. easy is it to find the resources you need to craft it which is just a bunch of iron ingots a dispenser a crafting table and two redstone so they're not that expensive um but yeah just like organically learning the recipe for these things that's the kind of thing that i want to do with these snapshots and so seeing how easy it is to find a trial chamber from scratch in a brand new survival world is probably going to be my focus at first and then seeing how they react to multiple players and that kind of thing is going to be uh, for further testing afterwards and seeing imagine like a large server group like you know hermitcraft or whoever like with 20 people all piling into the same place and seeing how the challenge scales and what the upper limit of that is is going to be a pretty exciting thing i think the only thing that I uh, saw that intrigued me on this week's snapshot beyond all the, the crafter stuff was the Jigsaw structure pool aliases, which I, I don't entirely understand, but it sounds like it's a really good change for villages and custom, you know, dungeons for map makers and, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, think of it like loot tables, right? Like you can randomly roll on a loot table to get a variety of things to pop up in a chest or as a reward for, for something. You can change loot tables around so that uh, villagers, instead of giving you the items they give you from Hero of the Village, give you completely different stuff. And I, from what I understand, I think it's sort of similar to that, but with jigsaw-based structures. So structures that you're assembling from different parts, you've got like take a village for example you have a path and different segments of the path and then there are individual areas of those which can bolt on houses right and so imagine that if it calls an alias it's effectively searching a different loot table for what structures to put there so you can imagine having it assemble an like a a village that had all of the plains village houses but then occasionally one or two of them have the option to be desert village houses and the architectural styles blend uh and you can you can kind of set up a series of those and i think this is all in preparation really for trial chambers and encouraging players to bolt on like custom experiences onto trial chambers and similar structures like that because then you could have it suddenly generate a village house in the middle of a trial chamber as like a weird like addition to that and, and you can just kind of mix and match between those things so it effectively branches out the randomness that generated structures can contain without you having to store all of the structure files in one place for every single type of structure you want it to generate yeah i mean it's it sounds like it really opens up a lot of creativity and uh what's sort of looking for it avoids the repetition that that you see sometimes yeah. in minecraft structures you know especially early ones and it would be cool to see 
this tech, you know, apply to other things? You know, like I think it sort of started with Piglin Bastions. We saw more of it with the Trail Ruins and now with the Trial Chambers. It, it's like it's getting more and more, more robust as time goes on. Yeah, which is exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what else they do with it in the future and what players do with it as well, because it's it's also a really cool tool to uh, put in the hands of players as well as the developers. Speaking of players, we've got some feedback from uh, some of our community, and that is in the Chunk Mail Dispenser this week. If you'd like to email the show, send that into spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Keep them short, keep them sweet, and it increases your potential to have them read on the show. You want to grab the first one, Pix? Yes, this one comes in from Kagan W with the subject of Gilded Windows. Hello, Pix and Joel. I would love to be able to craft the copper grates together with glass blocks to make gilded or decorative glass blocks with borders and designs in them like we see in real life with medieval-style architecture. Potentially, we could see something that looks like a stained glass window. I also think the copper doors should have to use a redstone signal for continuity's sake because metal doors require redstone power. That's my two cents for the update. Thanks for the podcast. Kagan W decided to hire a blaze to fight the breeze. I really like the ex uh, the exit line there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's going to be an interesting matchup, I think, for people like yeah. the people who like to make a you know a hundred ravagers versus the warden style like combat challenges. Yeah. Uh, that'll be kind of funny. Yeah. You ever see those infinity boxes where like it's a it's a mechanical hand that kind of comes up and presses a button that then like shuts the lid and like it yeah just yeah yeah keeps on going. It's <laughs> yes. like the blaze would come up and be on fire. The breeze would blow it out, and the blaze would light the candle again, and the breeze would blow it out. Like that's mm -hmm. kind of how I imagine that fight going. Which is yeah, really definitely. frustrating on both sides. Um, yeah, I I like this idea. Uh, I think that um, I thought that most stained glass windows were made from lead, but I looked it up, and copper foil is a common material to bind the glass panes together, which I didn't know. Wow. And so, yeah, it actually makes sense from a, like a real world standpoint. Not that they always have to do that in Minecraft, but it if it lines up, it's nice that it lines up. Um, it would be really cool if this was a thing where the patterns of the gilded glass blocks as kagan w had pointed out lined up and worked together somehow where you wouldn't just have to do like say light blue stained glass for the whole window so if the pattern on the edges of the blue block also lined up with like the green block and maybe the yellow block and maybe not all of them but it would be cool if they lined up a little bit so that you could you know combine and have like a, a a yellow block in the middle of your blue window and have it line up even though the color is going to change the actual design work would maybe line up in a, in a kind of a, a not a mosaic i can't remember what it's called tessellation uh and just so that you could have a lot of options in that way i think that would be very very cool and like the the color and the creativity that would come from having these kind of um patterns and glass blocks would be really cool imagine them in floors you know like rainbow bridges like all you could do all kinds of wonderful things with it from a devil devil's advocate perspective here because i like you i love the idea of having any kind of expansion to glass that allows for like interesting framing and stuff like that with each color of glass needing each phase of copper oxidation, you're looking at 68 new blocks <laughs> and also storage oh. for 68 new blocks. You have to double that if you want glass panes, and I'm not even including tinted glass in that. Um, so 16 colors of glass, clear glass, and then multiply that by four for each of the copper oxidation phases. People are already complaining about inventory issues. Um, <laughs> I think the idea of having framed windows like that, though, is almost worth the inventory hassle trade-off. Um, 
but also this is a desire that people have been fulfilling with resource packs for a while. Like if you're not going to use pink stained glass in a bunch of stuff, and of course we know many people who will want to use every color of stained glass, but if you're not, there's a couple of blocks that you use infrequently, you can retexture those and you can get something to this effect from a resource pack. Which I know is not the same as having stuff added to vanilla because it's nice to mix and match these things, but I am, I am kind of... Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm skeptical about whether or not they would add something like this just based on the fact that copper oxidation is a mechanic they seem pretty committed to and imagining the amount of variation that you would have to have plus the idea of scraping off the copper with an axe when there is glass embedded in there and glass breaks when you use tools on it normally is, you know, it, it's it's kind of a, a mixed bag of, uh, of different stuff. Like, I, I love the idea behind it though. The creativity that you could get out of different window designs is... Uh, certainly worth investigating it's funny that you went there because i didn't think at all about the oxidation i was just thinking that it was going to give you like a blackish kind of you know wrought iron looking pattern on on the the glass block not thinking that it would be green or copper colored at all i thought it was going to be my brain was like very much what you see in a traditional stained glass window i wonder if they could get around that if if the crafting recipe included something else like maybe you needed an an iron ingot you know, along with the copper grate and the glass. And then you ended up with something that was a dark color that just did not look like it was going to oxidize. You know, like it just looked like it was already kind of like a very dark gray, you know, like a charcoal gray color or something like that. That could be one way. Because yeah, I didn't I didn't at all go down the road of, of wanting oxidation. Because then it's like, not all the colors are going to work with oxidation and like it's it's going to look real weird in, in some cases. So yeah, that's, but that's, that's an interesting take on like the extra inventory. I wouldn't mind... 16 extra blocks that'd be fine <laughs> yeah Just... i mean if if it, if it was all with um you know either like you did a bunch of stuff with the colored glass but you didn't have the oxidation effect or if you had the oxidation effect but you could only combine them with clear glass like that'd be that'd be okay but then obviously people would want to do stained glass windows with it and find that the clear glass was lacking in the color that they wanted so mm. yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of different directions that they could go with an idea like that if they wanted to implement it next email comes from ron d landscape artist member in our chat teaching dogs tricks hey pix and joel with the addition of armadillos and wolf armor i was thinking about other ways that dogs could be improved what if you could train your dog to help you with certain tasks? To train them, the player could reward the dog with different types of toys. For example, a player could train their dog to hunt on their own by giving them a bone after they helped a player take down a mob. The dog would then attack that type of mob when they get close. Or other examples are that the player could train the dog to uh, guard an area by giving it a rabbit hide or herd animals by pushing them towards fences by giving the dog a stick or give the uh, a warning bark when a certain type of mob is close by giving the goat horn after killing that mob. What are your thoughts on this idea? I hope our canine friends can receive some more love so they are more equal footing with cats. Ron D was killed by a pack of dogs protecting their own from a prank. Yeah, as, as someone who doesn't really enjoy the current implementation of Tamed Wolves, I do like the idea of making them more useful. Uh, it does have some appeal and... Yeah, I, I don't know if this is the kind of thing that they would tack on to just implementing wolf armor is like a complete overhaul of dogs as well, especially since, you know, the armadillo was going to be voted in and there was always the chance that it wouldn't be, which would lead to, you know, a bunch of development effort on the dog having to be sort of um, 
you know, additional and planned beforehand on the assumption that the armadillo was going to win, which from what I understand, um, Xylefian posted a blog of just his personal thoughts on the uh, mob vote a little while ago, and it seemed like internally everyone was expecting either the penguin to win because it was cute or the crab to win because it offered the most utility. So everyone mm-hmm. at Mojang seems to have been quite surprised by the fact that the armadillo won. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think they would have had to be working on uh, an overhaul of dog AI and dog behavior for a while before uh, Minecraft Live even happened at this point. That's interesting to know because that, again, to point out what uh, I think they mentioned during the Minecraft Live was to remind everybody that, you know, just because a mob didn't get voted in doesn't mean it will never come to Minecraft. If there are internal fans of the crab and the and the penguin, uh, or at least the expectations were there, then that means that there's still a possibility because uh, I think they were, they were definitely more fun. Um, I like the addition of some functionality to the tamed wolf if that comes along with um armor from the armadillo because otherwise i don't really think the update is going to have this particular part of the update is going to have much impact um i don't know about the way that it was executed in rondi's email that feels a little bit strange and i don't know how you would communicate to the player that that dog is now hurting instead of protecting and stuff like that like i, I don't know how that would work um but Something that does happen when we currently tame a wolf is that we are able to give them a collar. And by using dye, you can change the color of that collar. Colors could just be aesthetic, but what if the material that the collar was made of would then change the function of the tamed wolf? So for example, like an iron collar for guarding and protection or a copper collar for herding gold, diamond, you know, redstone, whatever. Uh, that kind of stuff could be could be interesting because it could add some function to the dog uh, or the tamed wolf, I guess, technically. The other thing that I thought would be interesting is if they decide at any point in the future to change the breeds of dog uh, that would come up, which would make them dogs, not tamed wolves, uh, for starters, that would also be interesting because different breeds of dog have different characteristics. So something like if you wanted protection, then you could have a different kind of dog versus if you wanted to have um uh, an animal that would be more of a herder like maybe a dog that looked like a border collie would be something that would you know round sheep up something like mm-hmm. that that might yeah. be too specific i don't know if that just that that's a lot of work for a, a a kind of dog in minecraft that does one thing right so i don't know whether that would be where they would go but i do like the idea of some sort of functionality i think different dog breeds and different looks to the dogs would be pie in the sky. I, I don't see that happening. I would love it, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and I don't know what kind of functionality something like a pug would have. <laughs> like there's just, there's a couple of like dead ends. Um, and also you got to worry about, you know, while it's cool to have, you know, the, the tamed wolves in Minecraft attack skeletons because, you know, like har, 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 the skeletons are made of bones. So it makes sense. Um, using and training a, a, a tamed wolf in the game to protect anything in your area for whatever reason, that has some implications in terms of real world dog and behavioral issues and stuff like that. I don't think that they would want to get into. So I think there are some roadblocks there that they would probably want to stay away from. I, I see yeah. them leaning more on the cartoony side of things than they would be on the like real world side of things. Yeah, t- teaching your dog to dive into a filing cabinet so it can become a crime-fighting detective or whatever. That's the <laughs> that's that's the more extreme cartoony version of that. Shout out to Hong Kong Fui uh, from back in the day. But yeah, the um, 
the sort of training a, a dog to attack players that wander into your base is not the best look i i will agree yeah. um and yeah i i think like, like you said the, the mechanics suggesting the email seem a little difficult to communicate to the player like regardless of how complex the behavior itself is like what connects rabbit hide to hey protect this area or whatever right like I, I think there's there's a bit of a disconnect there and i think your collar suggestion is actually a really solid one because if it's something that the player crafts and you you craft an item that's called herding collar or something like that then at least hmm. that gives the player an indication of what behavior they can expect from the dog instead of it being an unconnected item um but i can only imagine the ways in which players would get frustrated by either not knowing which ai they were activating with the dog suddenly you know chasing sheep around or if you set it up to herd sheep but then a sheep wanders into your base from the nearby forest instead of being one of the sheep that you've been corralling into a pen and suddenly your dog is chasing every stray sheep that wanders in towards the fence posts that you've used to decorate your house you know like there are some more subtle mechanics that need to be worked in there something similar to how in terraria you can assign player housing based on whether or not it has the requirements to constitute a house which is like it's got a back wall some walls around the outside uh, a table and a chair you know and that's what constitutes a house um and and as long as it's within a certain size and so you end up uh you know manipulating that in some ways to make different houses for your npc characters but if minecraft had the same mechanics you could rely on that to specify okay herd animals into this area and then that would be a lot more you know it, it would work a lot better for players it'd be a lot a lot more of a um a coherent mechanic for players but would take us out of the very kind of normal tactile way that the intuitive way that minecraft is approached it, it'd mean fewer rules that you had to learn without the game effectively teaching you them um which is is difficult to teach people new mechanics in minecraft without either you know giving like an article on minecraft.net that explains how something works or having some in-game text which minecraft doesn't have a great deal of or setting up an advancement for them which it has to convey a very potentially broad amount of information in a very short word or phrase that's usually just meant to be a hint at what you're supposed to be doing instead of full-on instructions so it's it's difficult to add in a more complex system like this especially if it hasn't been in the game from the beginning and that community knowledge hasn't built up yet yeah i think there need, there needs to be some sort of visual thing and I, like i can see the complexities of like you know wandering mobs and all that kind of stuff overlapping um something that that we haven't done much with uh except except i guess the sniffer recently is that i mean wolves and, and dogs have very keen senses of smell i wonder if they could use that to kind of you know take advantage of of maybe indicating that maybe tamed wolves could point the player towards something i'm not sure what they sniff out maybe they sniff out something interesting but they could if they could strike a pose like a german short-haired pointer you know like and say like there's something over that way like you should mm -hmm. look that way you know um i think that uh rondi mentioned like a, an alarm system you know uh, uh giving a a, a wolf um, a goat horn i mean even if it was just a type of collar that would make the dog howl uh, i looked up some of the functions for tamed wolves before the show i knew that they chased skeletons i did not realize that uh the antithesis of cats scaring away creepers dogs and tamed wolves are scared of creepers and so you can't hear keep, keep keepers coming but if you tamed a, 
a wolf and you gave it a specific color, maybe then it would howl whenever a creeper was nearby. Uh, or like do a like German short hair pointer and like say there's a creeper over there. Um, and you might not be able to see it or, you know, it just might be one of those things where like that would make the effort of taming a wolf a little bit more worth it, you know, because then you might have this early warning system before a creeper blows up your hard, you know, earned paths and gardens and things that you just did. And so that kind of stuff I think is is interesting to, to think about. Um, I, I don't know how that's implemented in game you know, or what the the tamed wolf might point towards, if not for a creeper like the mob. I don't know what resource, you know, like it's not like it's a pig that would sniff out mushrooms or anything like that. Like I, don't, I can't think of anything that would make sense. So again, you'd have to go maybe down the cartoony road of maybe it sniffs out something else, you know. I like the idea of having a warning system for creepers though, because the amount of times that I see all of the, mo the the zombies and skeletons burning in the sunlight. I think, okay, it's safe to step out of my starter house. And right. there's a creeper outside my front door that I didn't hear because they're silent. <laughs> so, like, ha having having a, a dog alert you to the, the presence of creepers does sound like a, uh, a useful trait for them, for sure. Uh, third email comes in from Arthur with the subject of Trial Chamber Mobs. Hey, Pix and Joel. Since Minecraft Live, I've been thinking about the Trial Chamber and the Breeze. What other mobs could be added? We have several examples of mobs from Minecraft Dungeons that could be added to Minecraft, and there could be new mobs like the Breeze that Mojang comes with out of the blue. The Rascal might well fit into a Trial Chamber to give you loot as you work your way through it. What mobs do you think could be added to the Trial Chamber? There's no uh, fancy sign-off line. This one just says, Arthur. I, I think that we're getting the mobs as they're designed right like i think that that's like the trial chambers as designed by mojang i think that the breeze is the one that's they intended to put in there you know i i don't see us getting multiple mobs in the trial area i mean there's the trial spawner of course but that's going to have from what we can tell i mean things could change but it sounds like it's going to be spawning in existing minecraft mobs and then the spanner in the works is the breeze and that's the one that's like pushing you around and potentially causing problems with you know triggering trap doors and, and things like that um i i guess with the amount of tough and copper in trial chambers uh we speculated recently that maybe like a tough golem or or a um a copper golem but i think you pointed out either in our live coverage or even in the last episode where we talked about minecraft live that the breeze sort of has the same environmental effect as the copper golem, right? With interacting with redstone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a different way of doing it because it's not a little guy going up to a button and pressing it. It's, you know, triggered by the presence of a hostile creature around a player and them, you know, targeting stuff. And so it's a little bit more of a chaotic way of doing it, but then it looks like it can apply to more redstone components than just buttons. Um, and, and activating them without using a redstone current because if it can open and close a trapdoor or a door without using redstone then i mean in a way that's that's a different mechanic that's a different kind of thing um the thing about i think i believe they've now confirmed that we're not getting tough or copper golems in trial chambers i think there's been some sort of official word on that from a developer somewhere um and that they have no plans to add them to the trial chambers so so that's a shame but looking forward to uh, updates beyond 1.21, I can imagine them expanding on trial chambers in future to keep them fresh, right? In the same way that we've talked about archaeology, it's a system they can expand it. The sniffer sniffing up plants is a system that they can add stuff to later. And these trial chambers are another thing. They're another experience which you can add modules onto and you can 
increase the number of mobs that are unique to those areas. I'm still not 100% convinced that the breeze is intended to inhabit trial chambers. It's just that one spawned in there for the purposes of demonstrating it's at Minecraft Live and it interacts That's with the true. environment in terms of like, you know, the trapdoor traps in the floor and everything. But I'm not certain that the breeze is just like the mob for those areas. I kind of wonder if they're going to be spawning elsewhere in the world as well. Um, so it's it's possible that there might be a trial chamber exclusive mob, whether it's the breeze or something else. But like you said, I don't think we're going to see anything additional for them in this update since they've shown us what I presume is a complete experience with what they showed us at Minecraft Live, given that we're then expected to jump into snapshots and playtest them, and then if they throw something else in further down the road, then that's going to change the way we might play through those things. On the flip side, though, I like the idea of adding the rascal, kind of for the sake of what I mentioned last week, where you know, players entering a trial chamber without their equipment could choose to run the trial and use any resources that they find inside it. So if you find a couple of diamonds in a chest, you can use those to make a sword. If you find an iron axe in the chest, you can use that as your weapon. If you find enough to craft a pickaxe, then you can start breaking walls and seeing if there are chambers behind walls and stuff like that. So I think there might be a genre of playing these trial chamber experiences that would benefit from having something that like if you catch it if you kind of run through the corridors of this area and, and grab hold of it like you're supposed to do with the rascal you shake it down for loot and it gives you an enchanted pickaxe and that's going to help you through the experience i think that's kind of a neat idea yeah i could see that i could see that uh because that's sort of a similar situation to like the treasure pig in minecraft dungeons right like you just have mm. to chase it down in a hairy situation you have to decide do i want to chase this into potential danger for the rewards or do i you know have to clear some of these spiders first before i get to it you know that kind of exactly thing. yeah Risk yeah versus reward yeah i can i can see that being something worth thinking worth about wanting. other stuff from from minecraft dungeons i'm wondering like the, there were royal guards in there that had like the big shields but also the massive kind of maces they were sort of towards the the, the later mm -hmm. levels and um i sort of wonder if something in a trial chamber like as a, a fun experience to prevent you from moving on really quickly from a room so you can't just speed run through it is a mob that didn't necessarily focus so much on attacking but focused more on defense and it would maybe like put up barriers that would prevent you from going any further until you were able to take the mob down something that had like a couple of shields that you'd have to try and get past or something and it's obviously difficult working around that in a 3d space like i'm not certain how you would implement it but if the idea for these trial chambers is that you run through and complete them in a specific order, at least to begin with, then yeah, some something original that would kind of generate a almost like not a force field necessarily, but like a couple of shields that you'd have to make your way past would be a kind of a a, a fun way of adding some challenge and having players think on their feet a little as they travel through these things. I really like that idea. Imagine a mob like that uh, elite guard idea where they've got a great big shield. And they walk a couple of blocks and then for like another two seconds, they like plant themselves and they look kind of like they've, you know, um, gone inside a turtle shell, like that kind of a, mm -hmm. like, they're just, they're hunkered down and then they take no damage. You can't move them. And so you have to, they're an obstacle. And then like every couple seconds they get up and they move around possibly quickly. And then they plunk down again, you know, it'd be very, very similar to, uh, in Minecraft dungeons when it was it a witch doctor would have like these. Um, stone obelisks would like pop up out of the ground and potentially like fence you in. Yeah, be geo similar. geomancers. I'm pretty geomancers, sure. Geomancers. That's what geomancers. it is. Yeah. 
so like that that kind of a thing where like you've got these like obstacles that are in your way and then not in your way and then in in a different position in your way again like that kind of thing would be really interesting and i like the idea of it not attacking you it's just like it's going to be in your way and that might trip you up and then you get shot by a breeze or it might trip you up and you get you know attacked by something else if you're in a, a trial spawner chamber um going back to the jigsaw stuff we talked about earlier too with trial chambers like they could very easily just like add a random boss room you know like add yeah a chamber between chambers where like you have to pass through this one room to get to the rest of the trial chamber and it's going to have a new mob or a combo of mobs or something in there that you have to then tackle to then get out the other side and um like to to your point about expanding the system uh you could add all kinds of stuff if they if they in two years they come up with a new mob that just really fits the trial chamber they could just add it in to however that you know that layout happens right like it, it's it's got some possibilities and i guess some of that could fall on map makers as well right like you could end up with those kind of pve challenges coming from from creative people within minecraft you know within the community yeah yeah i'm really excited to see what people do with trial spawners in particular <laughs> there's there's some really fun stuff that they can uh, program in uh it, on the subject of boss rooms imagine one that just like you walk into a room and it's just the t-shape and the two uh wither skulls that you get for summoning the wither and then there's right. just a chest with another wither skull in there and it can be like a fun way of encouraging players to you know figure out how to summon the wither if they've never done it before and they don't like see the painting that's supposed to be the hint at how the wither is generated right 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 last email comes in from jordan y built in instructions i'm writing in reply to your discussion on episode 258 about instructions built into minecraft gameplay I'm fairly brand new to Minecraft and have searched up just a couple of things. I personally love the fact that there's not a bunch of text or things you feel like you have to learn in the game. It's almost like the game gives you different paintbrushes. And as you become a better quote unquote painter, you want to start learning about those specific brushes. It feels like way more uh, of a creative way. And it is what makes it so fun discovering things on my own, especially starting a new world with my wife, my kids, a 10-year-old who has uh, got a little knowledge, a 9-year-old, and a 5-year-old. Listening to your podcast is like hearing about different brushes in the game and understanding what they're called or roughly what can be done, and it makes me excited to discover all what my family has to do on this realm. Thanks again. I just thought this was a really cool email. Uh, really awesome to see the entire family involved. I find sometimes uh, games, Minecraft specifically, I find gets panned sometimes as taking time away from other things in life, uh, family time or, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, kids do your homework first, but like, you know, when it comes to uh, video games, they often get a bad rap, but when you can do it all together, when the entire family is enjoying Minecraft together, uh, I think that's great, uh, especially because so often, and I don't know how often you might hear this picks, but I will meet another adult I'll mention that Minecraft is part of my, you know, work environment. And they're like, oh yeah, I sort of know what you're talking about because my kids are really into it. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't sound like they can really talk to their kids on a level of understanding about Minecraft. But if you're playing Minecraft too, then you have that shared experience and you can have that conversation and kind of be able to be really into uh, what the kids are into. And I just think it's really cool that the whole family, like all five people are, are playing together there. Um, I also think it's a really interesting way to talk about Minecraft gameplay, comparing it to a uh, painting with a paintbrush. You know, you've got your building brushes, you've got your technical brushes, you've got your progression, you've got your, you know, your survival stuff. There's all these different skills and the way you play kind of depends on, you know, how 
good a painter you have become in those specific things. And some things come before others, like, you know, surviving the night and doing some basic survival is kind of like the first brush that you learn to use. And then after that, it's kind of progression and it goes on to more creative stuff after that. Um, but I thought it was a really interesting way to talk about uh, Minecraft because I talk about building in Minecraft the same way. I treat building in Minecraft very much like a visual 3D painting. Uh, my process is even roughly the same. When I rough out a Minecraft build in like cobblestone or basic blocks, it's like a sketch. Uh, I block in major shapes, values and colors with block selection, with you know height variation. And I'm often backing up and looking at the composition and making sure that like the tower isn't too overpowering or that I'm not building a tree right in the way of you know what I want to see blocking the view of the house, that kind of thing. And then the final layer is the details. In my case, it's often things like textures, landscaping, foliage, and other things uh, that bring life to the build, like flower pots, lanterns, and anything that suggests movement or life in the area. And those are all like that as you get more adept at Minecraft, because I wasn't doing all of that when I first started to play Minecraft. I was building houses and I would, they were functional. And then after that, it was like, okay, what do I do next? And it wasn't until I reached kind of like end game and had like a lot of time in the game where I thought, okay, wait a minute, I know how to do all this. How can I like take what I'm interested in as a person, what Joel is interested in and apply that to Minecraft as a player and kind of like bring this up to a level that I wanted to take it to. And I, I can see that happening with people that are more technical than me, like the people that make like these huge redstone farms, or these really complex machines and things like that. And like, they're taking those personal interests from outside Minecraft and they're painting with that brush within the game. It's a really cool way to look at the gameplay. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and I think this even extends to stuff like the plugins and mods that are out there, like, you know, World Edit and World Painter and Voxel Sniper that use brushes as a concept for making large-scale changes to a Minecraft world. You know, you're you're applying shapes in the form of brushes. You know, you have a sphere brush, and then you kind of draw with that to create hills and landscapes and that kind of thing. And then, you know, brushing, changing the texture of the blocks that you're adding. But that's sort of, in itself, similar to... 3d modeling which i've done a very very minimal amount of in the past but like addition and subtraction or i think they're called union and difference in some uh 3d modeling software it, th those are basically operations that you can perform to reshape a 3d object and you're doing stuff like that in minecraft constantly you know you are adding or subtracting from the world whenever you break or place blocks and I think, you know, with the obvious exceptions being like, if you're generating blocks that weren't there before, there's a certain amount of renewability in that. But I think there's a neat sort of push and pull that happens that's sort of like modeling with clay or something like that. So there's a lot of artistic terms that can really relate well to the way, you know, you, you end up reshaping your world. And so I think that's, that's, it's good that you've got that vibe already, <laughs> because that's really what Minecraft is. And whether or not people express that very often, that's one of the ways that people see Minecraft as an artistic canvas. Um, I'm going to echo what Joel said at the, the top of this email. I, I love the fact that we're hearing about people playing Minecraft with their family. I think that's one of the things that I always love hearing about whenever I'm chatting with my community is parents playing with their kids or couples playing together or whatever it happens to be. There's such a, a cool thing to having a shared experience in this world. And if it's an artistic thing that you can contribute to together, there are a lot of solo artistic pursuits in the world that I think having a collaborative approach to your art is always really interesting so uh, yeah i really appreciate you sharing that for this email 
So the main discussion this week is going to be the crafter because we did get it in the experimental features in this week's snapshot. And uh, it was only just a few days after it was announced at Minecraft Live. And you wanted to set the stage for this discussion because you've had more time with the crafter. Uh, I've not really played with it personally. I've, I've watched a number of videos, so I, I know kind of what's up and I've seen kind of its potential. But you, I feel like you had a really good handle on where you wanted to steer this discussion. Yeah, I, I think the crafter in itself is kind of fascinating. I think it's, for a start, easy to learn, difficult to master. It's a block that really rewards the amount of time you put into understanding it and rewards your skill with redstone systems and problem solving. And I'll kind of skip ahead to one of the other things I wrote in here, which was that I've seen lots of player feedback about simplifying the crafter by letting you set a template using a recipe book and, and auto-filling the recipe and then the recipe is kind of locked in there and it never leaves even when the ingredients are um, kind of pushed out by the crafter. And there's a lot of people thinking that's what the crafter needs to make it quote-unquote better. And I want to push back against that idea a little bit here because first of all, it, you can kind of set a template for it already because you can place ingredients in the crafter manually. They showed this happening on the Minecraft Live set where they had the uh hanging signs being crafted and you can kind of drag in as many items as you would normally do with a crafting table um and you can set ingredients up and then while it does have comparator interactions so you can have the comparator signal increase to the point where it ejects the items as soon as there are nine items in there or, or however many you want it to you could also set it up to a redstone clock and then depending on the timing of the ingredients coming in, you can guarantee that the crafter never fully ejects any of the items that are in there that are providing the template for the recipe. I expect there might even be some smart ways that you can take a comparator readout from the crafter and and maybe take a couple of additional signals from the items coming in. So when those items stop flowing in, it crafts one more, but it leaves the items in the crafter because it knows there aren't any more items flowing in for the recipe. Um, so you could do some smart stuff with that, I think. But um, either way, I think the comments are sort of missing the point in that the crafter is a puzzle for you to solve, right? It has simple uses, like breaking bones down into bone meal and then crafting them into bone blocks is like a fairly straightforward thing I'd imagine a lot of people would want to do just so that you can compact all of your bone meal from a skeleton farm and then take all of that away in a shulker box and you're taking away three times as much as you would from a shulker box of bones and all of that is happening in the background while you're using the farm so it's saving you time and letting you get to using that bone meal for something cool elsewhere um but if you want to make it more complex if you want it to craft redstone components for you if you want it to have a bunch of you know things flowing in to make comparators in the background because they're a pain to craft or you know it'll make redstone torches and turn those into a comparator and then it'll smelt stone and make sure the stone keeps getting fed in you're bolting on lots of different modules and you have to start figuring out redstone systems and solutions to different problems as they arise and that is gameplay like th this is a really great example of this effort in reward out philosophy that's led to them making adjustments to gameplay in other areas like adjusting fishing mechanics to prevent afk treasure farms and i think simplifying the crafter by giving it this sort of template system where you have to specify what it's crafting before it crafts anything is sort of simplifying it too much it's lowering the skill ceiling of using this thing and 
potentially limiting the level of reward players can feel once they figure out the best way to have a crafter set up that will do anything for them. Yeah, I agree. I, I've seen comments in that way where people are expressing disappointment that it's very difficult, if not impossible, to use the crafter to craft all the blocks in the game, or at least all the blocks that a player might need or find useful. Uh, and and I think like well, it, it, like right away you realize it's not meant to craft everything. Well, it it can, but not one of them. You're not meant to have one, and then it's going to do everything for you. Um, and I, I agree. I think they're missing the point entirely. I, I mean, you almost want to say, look, if you want that, like either go play modded or um, playing creative where you don't have to craft anything. You know, like yeah, this, that's, yeah. it takes the fun out of it, right? The gameplay here is crafting systems and pattern recognition. And I play a lot of Satisfactory, which I've taken a break from recently, but they're coming into a new update. I'm going to be returning to it. And I was thinking about this because you know, you compare auto crafting immediately to things like Factorio, Satisfactory, any kind of like crafting game that has like conveyor belts and that kind of stuff. And Satisfactory is an entire game based on that gameplay. Uh, and it would be a really boring game if there was only one kind of building and that one building crafted every resource that I need in that game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So right now we've got, you know, constructors and assemblers and manufacturers and there's power buildings and there's like all kinds of different stuff. There's liquids like there's all and every building has different things. And sometimes they even do a combination of things, but you can't get any, you know, uh, any one building to do all of the things that you need. And what the crafter is in Minecraft is a building in satisfactory inside out. Mm -hmm. So instead of having all of the stuff inside a constructor in uh, satisfactory that does wire and plates and rods and that kind of stuff, all those gears you have to create on the outside in Minecraft. So the crafter does the last thing. It spits it out. But you have to figure out, you know, how to get all of the things in there at once. And in Satisfactory, the, the numbers game, the balancing and the gameplay comes from you need various different um, numbers of things. Like you need, you know, 30 wire to 15, you know, copper. And like the, the ratios is where the gameplay is and the belts and that kind of stuff. That's the the same puzzle in Satisfactory that lines up with the puzzle in Minecraft of the order in which you drop these things into the crafter because things are a little bit more linear in, in Minecraft. And, and there's, there's there's a tech progression in Satisfactory, right? Or in games like that, where like yes. you're, you're going up through different types of materials or different types of fuel and you need Absolutely. a certain type of yeah. fuel to be able to produce like certain alloys or whatever. Like I, I have limited experience with Satisfactory. I've seen you and a no, few other people right. play it. But like if, if, it's, if it's like that, then the problem with adding any kind of tier system to something like the crafter is that minecraft gameplay is broad and a lot of the time people get to end game where they have a lot of the best potential tools and the game doesn't squeeze you into having to perform those in a very specific order like you can find diamonds in all sorts of different ways and then suddenly have a suit of armor and a set of tools that will last you for a very very long time so the tech progression is not nearly as metered out as it is in a game like Satisfactory, where it's the whole point of making progress is to get to the point later on where you can craft more and more powerful stuff. So the crafter has to have some element of gameplay to it, which allows for this kind of 
broad sandbox style gameplay where assume the player has everything what can they do with a block that can craft stuff for you and that that's a very different setup it's not like you couldn't make a version of this where you start with like a mini crafter that just has a two by two grid and then you have to work up through getting netherite or whatever and then you can make a crafter that has a three by three grid like that just doesn't make sense it doesn't feel right for what they want to do with uh, a system like this so yeah it, it feels like a an odd way of scaling stuff like that and uh yeah if you've if you've taken a look at what some people have done with the crafter already there are some fantastic applications for it that don't even involve crafting because it outputs a comparator signal based on whether or not you toggle on and off the individual slots of the crafting interface so you can hide some of them so that items wouldn't come in but that outputs a comparator signal and if you put a couple of them side by side and you check for different comparator signals in a combination lock you can effectively use them as keypad entries with just like multiple keypads instead of it all just being from one interface and you, you can set up a combination lock that way there's some really fascinating ideas before you even get into the applications that players have for automatically crafting stuff i was watching uh mumbo do some very cool stuff uh very compact you know different machines that he was using for in in his case it was farms it was like taking a huge amount of stuff and crafting it down into a more palatable you know amount of storage and things and what i liked about what he was doing is that as he needed more redstone signals and comparators and different stuff, he was moving from using the traditional blocks like a, a hopper or a dropper or something like that, where you have to put items in it in order to fill it up to a certain point where it has an output or even something like a lectern with a, a book on it. He just started using crafters. So I was looking at his, his contraption going like, why does he have so many like crafters? Oh, he's using some crafters as basically one through nine redstone signal output mm -hmm. and then he's using the other crafters as actual crafters and it just it just goes to show you that you've got such a very simple interface now for getting a comparator signal of one to nine you know and it's it's really really interesting in some ways it kind of you know hamstrings some contraptions where you'd want to have the ability to stop the crafter if it hit a certain uh level but the fact that it doesn't matter how many items are in each stack in the crafter, if there are six slots filled or blocked, then the output will be six. It doesn't matter whether you've got a stack of redstone in one of those um, areas or not. The, the signal strength is just one to nine. And that's, I like that. I Because I, one of the things that I find tedious about redstone contraptions that need comparator signals is trying to find something that gets that signal output that's not like really hard to set up and repetitive, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, it's because I know I think you went through that with your um your Copperfield machine where you had to put like <laughs> shovels and droppers and something like that to get the right and, signal strength and eat certain amounts of slices of cake because yeah. uh, <laughs> chiseled bookshelves didn't exist yet for easy six comparator signal. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, Civic Kitty in our live chat mentioned this and I want to bring up that they, they posted in the uh, piston powered chat, which is our kind of like redstone hub on the Spawn Chunks Discord. Uh, there's a YouTuber called Crafty Masterman who'd done a bunch of stuff with the crafter and put together a effectively like a, a base 10 counter using a couple of crafters. And what you do is you fill up the slots of the crafter with something like diamonds or redstone dust, something that can be crafted into a block, but then the block can be crafted back into the resource. And you can create a self-resetting counter that counts from 0 to 9, or effectively like 1 through 10. 
uh, that way by having it, you know, just add an item to the crafter each time you press a button, for example, and then every once it gets to nine it can automatically reset because then the redstone pulse can activate the crafter it turns it into a diamond block the diamond block goes into a crafter that uncrafts it back into diamonds and then the counter resets and you can just start adding diamonds in one at a time and it's a really compact counter that can count from one through ten and then reset itself which is mind-blowing so cool and not the kind of thing that you f think of, first of all, when you imagine automatic crafting being introduced to the game. So the Redstone community is already on fire coming up with stuff that they can do with it. In the meantime, the simplest applications, you can imagine the average casual player using it for. You can auto-craft bone meal, like we've already said. You can auto-craft melon slices into melons so that your pumpkin and melon farm output isn't just pumpkins every other stack and then like a ton of melon slices that's taking up like 60% of the chest and you can have those auto crafted into blocks which makes it easier to go and trade them with farmers or do whatever else you want to do with the melons um, you can craft the outputs of your iron farm into iron blocks and obviously from there into anvils and all kinds of other iron stuff uh, you can craft the gold nuggets from your zombie piglin farm into gold blocks through the ingot stage for easy transport and storage there um, I can imagine people using it to autocraft dispensers from skeleton farm bows. Uh, kelp blocks become viable as a fuel source again because you don't need the middleman step of having a player go there, craft them all into blocks after they've been smelted uh, or smoked. And then another potential thing was being able to craft empty shulker boxes on demand to save space because the ingredients for shulker boxes are stackable but empty boxes aren't so instead of having two double chests to store a hundred shulker boxes you've just got like a hopper with shulker shells and and chests feeding into a crafter and then that's just going to give you an empty shulker box whenever you need one um so there's there's so much that you can do on an even fairly basic level that's only going to require a hopper input and a couple of components to make sure the thing is ticking over. And in that light, you can take those auto crafting moments from, you know, condensing your storage and sure, it doesn't take that long to craft that stuff on the other side of it. Like I'm thinking about my gold farm, you know, and I go and I, I get some levels, I repair some gear, there's a bunch of nuggets. And there's some ingots and I usually condense them all into ingots and then eventually blocks just to put in my ender chest to bring back to whatever I'm doing. And then eventually later on, I break them down into nuggets again to turn them into golden carrots usually, but it's way more efficient to carry those blocks around than it is anything else. But while that act doesn't take so much time, the fact that I have to have like an array of 12 double chests underneath this gold farm to house all of the, you know, nuggets and everything else, uh, means that farm designs are going to change dramatically because yeah. if I could condense that all into blocks at a time, it's not so much the time saving for me, it's the design of the farm that's being changed and saved. And then on top of that, uh, maybe not uh, as a gold farm is a good example, but think about any other farm that you've got, like a creeper farm or actually creeper farm is a really good example. So creeper farm, we've got a creeper farm in Dartmouth Meadows. We've got a sugarcane farm in Dartmouth Meadows. We've got to turn the sugarcane in the paper. You go grab your gunpowder, bam, you've got, you know, rockets, no big deal. Now, the first thought you're going to have when you make a creeper farm is immediately next door, you're going to want to build a sugarcane farm. Yeah. So there's all these complementary farms and complementary ideas that you can put together with the crafter to say, I'm not just making a farm for the ingredients anymore. I'm making a farm for the end result. 
the thing that I'm going to have to craft manually anyway. And instead of just the most compact way to store things, it's, it's going to be like, it seems like these little teeny ticks off of the player's, you know, um, to-do list, but rather than going to get gunpowder and sugarcane at two different locations, I'm now going to be going to get rockets at one location. And that is long-term a very different way, you know, to think about that kind of stuff in Minecraft. And when it comes to even your storage, like think about all the um, bulk storage you have with cobblestone and stone and uh, andesite and, you know, uh, granite and diorite. And granted, I don't use diorite stairs and slabs and polished diorite all that often. But if I know that I want some at some point and I don't want to have to carry around a bunch of diorite, what I can do is set up a crafting system so that you can craft all of that and then store it in the same chest. So when you come back to that, you're not just grabbing, uh, you know, your stacks of diorite and then trying to figure out, well, how many stairs I want to make, how many, whatever I want to make. You're just going to walk up to a chest that's going to have everything, stairs, walls, slabs, polished variants, all of it. And, and you could set it up with the redstone output, either from a chest or from the crafter to say like, oh, you've done that a stack of times done. Don't make any more diorite walls. I'm probably not going to need them uh, yeah. until that stack or, the, or until this, you know, storage bin. And again, these don't have to be double chests anymore. Like they can be much smaller containers. Like you, if you only wanted to keep your, your, you know, diorite variants in a dropper, great. You get a stack of one of everything and then you're good. And, and I think that that provides this really cool way to go back to your storage system and it creates a ton of gameplay to set all that up. And then you have this really convenient way of like going back and saying, all right, well, I don't have to necessarily make everything because some of it's going to be made and you can make those decisions on the fly, depending on what your project is. Like if you realize, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm slabbing the nether or I'm doing some massive project and I just need more slabs than I really am willing to sit here and craft. You can set that up to happen in the background. And then while you're placing some more are being crafted. And that's just, that's such a fun, convenient thing in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I think there's a lot of fun also to be had in creating systems that craft things based on recipe shape. So you input everything into a series of crafters that have all of the possible shaped recipes already blocked out. And so, like, this, this is another reason why the template system sort of feels limiting, because you don't have to toggle any slots to change the 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 crafter interface between a campfire and a comparator for example they have the same shape but very different ingredients and so you could set up a series of crafters that are based on unique recipe shapes i kind of wonder how many unique recipe shapes there actually are um but then you, you have one crafter that does every kind of slab or you have one that's every kind of wall but also does iron bars and glass panes for you and stuff like that and and so you group things together not necessarily based on material or category but you, you group them based on shape and that's a completely different way to think about storage in the same way that the first time you think about what if i organize my storage by color instead of by category or by name or something then you know you can create all sorts of fun challenges for yourself and fun ways to to create storage systems and again this is about the crafter having that high skill ceiling that i was talking about and i i did this at first when before the crafter was even available but when i was thinking if we're going to get access to the snapshots relatively soon i might as well start working on a system 
I built this redstone component factory that was going to be able to make me, you know, redstone torches, repeaters, comparators, hoppers, droppers, that kind of stuff, like redstone lamps, target blocks. And you'd need to configure the crafter with each of the individual shapes before you started the machine going. But then once you flip a lever, it starts crafting specifically that component and then you can... Uh, you know, turn an arrow to face a different item frame and it will it will craft that item next. And I, I was running into the issue with like, you know, hopper timing being the main obstacle because you're limited to pushing one item every 0.4 seconds. And so you, you can have items stacking up in the hopper beforehand and that can mess up the order in which items are added to the crafter. But then, you know, once you've gotten around that, you can do a lot of different stuff. And so it... it allows for some flexibility in how players want to use it do you want to have everything coming through one crafter do you have want to have one crafter for every specific type of item and the resources that you can feed into that item or do you want to have one crafter for every different shape or do you want to have one crafter for a category of items and there are loads of different ways that you can imagine players setting those things up yeah when i was looking at some of the examples of how things are being set up. I think most of the time people were attempting, I want to craft this thing. I think dispensers were kind of the top of most people's lists because of yeah. how much of a pain they are. Unstackable items in a crafting recipe. That's going to be the main thing that people, because you can't fill your inventory with 64 bows when you right. want to craft 64 dispensers, right? So with that, I mean, and then you wouldn't even have to fill a, a chest with bows. You'd fill a chest with string and sticks right? And then craft the bows as needed, you know, one at a time. It, re it really ends up being a very similar experience to Satisfactory where like you look at the end thing that you want to make first. You don't look at the components. You look at the end thing. And then like a reverse family tree, it just kind of like explodes <laughs> in terms of like, where do you have to start? Way back at the root of everything, right? And mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is interesting uh, that I've seen is like a very straightforward approach because I know that you had some problems with like timing and whatnot. And that's like one of the challenges, like when you release certain items but i thought it was interesting to see like a line of hoppers and so like let's say the recipe had nine you know components it would be nine hoppers with nine droppers they'd all, all the droppers would be faced into the hoppers and then one redstone signal would go down the line and they would all put their items into the hoppers at once and because of the order that the hoppers were pointed in that's the order in which the items would flow so mm -hmm. if you had three things across the top of your crafting grid those are your first three hoppers and then you know six seven eight nine all the way down and i thought it was really straightforward and not compact like it just as these things get you know more complicated you're looking at like huge arrays of hoppers you know to to get the different components in and you know because you can see like okay well if that is what you need to make a bow then the bow itself gets put into another line of hoppers that then get fed into, you know, um, the final crafter to make the dispenser. And like, I like that idea of the expansion. And maybe that's just because I've played games like Satisfactory and I like that kind of thing. But when it comes to try to condense things down, I, I don't see the appeal of trying to um, I mean, I, I get the appeal of trying to create a small red zone construction because it's easier to fit into your builds. But I, I'm talking about like the block itself, like the function of the block, trying to condense the function of the block down to me just like removes more and more gameplay. So I like I, I'm glad that they're doing it the way that they're doing it. I I think uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I 
believe that you cannot move the crafter with a piston. Like it just spits out the things that are inside of it. At least not on Java Edition. I haven't confirmed on Bedrock where movable tile entities are more of a thing, but no, I don't right. think you can, you can't push the crafter with a piston. Right. Because I was, because that, that was my thought. Like if you wanted to craft more than one thing with the crafter, then the thing would be like, have a, a series of hoppers pointing into it and then move it to another location where yeah. there's another series of hoppers. But then again, like you can only, I guess you could use a double piston extender, but like you have to have all these contraptions far enough away from each other that they don't conflict with one another as well. Like, cause hoppers will suck from above before they push forward and all that kind of stuff. So it, it gets very spaghetti like very quickly. And uh, I'm someone that really likes water streams and be because of the visual that they provide in the game. So I don't know how viable water streams are going to be um, for the crafter. It might mean that you have to do things very slowly, you know, like it might mean spitting something out, waiting for it to get to the crafter and then spitting out the next thing rather than having too many things come out at once yeah you've just got to have the timing timed out so it matches the rhythm of a hopper pushing items because otherwise what i was finding was that right. I, I had a bunch of droppers spitting items out with an, a chain of observers detecting when the last dropper had spat something out so it was going up up like a a, right. a pillar basically and i turned those into factory chimneys which i thought was great for the aesthetic of it being a factory yeah but then those would all reach the water stream quite quickly one after another and if they didn't group up in the water stream let's say i was crafting an observer where i needed six cobblestone two redstone and a piece of quartz i'd find that like i'd need three cobblestone to go in first that would be fine but then by the time it was loading in the redstone the other cobblestone had already made it to the hopper and it was stacking up with the cobblestone that had reached it first and so when it was meant to be inputting the redstone it was just continuing to take from that first stack in the hopper which contained six cobblestone now and so you've got to time out the dispensed items in rhythm with the hoppers or create some other kind of thing that slows them down so they're only being added at the pace where the hopper can keep up with them occurring in that order and that's the difficult part again that's the part that requires a couple of interesting engineering solutions or you go the other way you have your entire water stream thing replaced with a bunch of droppers that can operate a lot faster if you pulse them with a redstone clock to keep the items moving and then you can have all of the items fill into the crafter a lot faster but you're doing that based on a bunch of droppers that are going to have to be powered by redstone clocks and that creates all kinds of other issues of space and timing and everything so th there's a bunch of different ways that you can mess around with these things and i'm very excited to see how that develops and how things get compacted and what stuff people are still excited about when the crafter actually comes to a, a full release but i think that's probably all we have time for on this episode of the spawn chunks because it's been a long one and uh, we've obviously had a lot of email to cover as well as the discussion about the crafter so stay tuned this week to see if there's any more snapshots coming and i'll be very excited to see if we can talk about something else on next week's show in the meantime you can find more information about our show and links to some of the stuff that we have talked about today over at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community where pledging to any one of the paid tiers will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and you can participate in the live show recording which we do in 
the Discord every Monday. We have our monthly Minecraft audio hangout coming up this Saturday, and the quarterly hangout is in the RSS feeds now. We are currently sitting at 329 patrons, which is up four from last week. Thank you so much to the four of you for jumping on board. And special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Mind Trip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform, maybe even a comment on the YouTube channel. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can find the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but on Lanagabe Pixorifs, you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online can be found at joelduggan.com, including the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. Hoping to hang out and talk with Brockett this week, so I'll let you know if that goes through. I am Joel Duggan on social media, very easy to find, and Joel Duggan on Twitch. You can, of course, tune in Thursday through Sunday, where I'm spending most of my time on the Citadel trying to finish up Westell. But on Fridays, I build Lego, and lately, it has been the UCS X-Wing Starfighter. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks, the world outside is infinite, and this closing line was crafted automatically. <laughs>